Our reading today is from the book of Luke again. So Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Karen, that's great. Uh, please do have your Bibles there at hand and we'll look closely at this passage that we just heard read. Uh, it is, of course, a very famous passage. Uh, many of you will know the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, it appears in um, lots of our, even our children's Bibles. That's how popular it is. Like you get Noah's Ark, uh, you get uh, Zacchaeus climbing up the tree. Uh, and even though we heard in our little drama this morning, it was quite helpful that you know, Zacchaeus is not really a good guy. I think the picture that's printed in our head is he's someone we actually do feel a bit of affection for. Poor guy, he's a bit short. In the kids' Bible, you know, all the characters you're meant to love, no matter who they are. In fact, we have a kids' Bible where David and Goliath are on the cover with their kind of arm around each other. Like, you know, and you think it's kind of nice, but you're missing something in that. But Zacchaeus actually is someone who, though we have that affection, though we know the story well, I think sometimes we do miss how negatively we're meant to think of him when the story begins. He is not a good guy. And he's actually uh, part of a whole chain of people that Luke has been discussing in his gospel who are not the kind of people you want to be around. As Matt said earlier, we have Jesus now approaching Jerusalem. At this point in his gospel, this has been a big slab. The middle section of Luke's gospel is all about this. From uh, chapter 9, we have Jesus setting his face towards Jerusalem after Peter has declared that he is the Messiah. Now we know who you are. What are you going to do? I'm going to head to Jerusalem. And then from 9 right through to actually 19, we have Jesus on this journey towards Jerusalem. And later in chapter 19 is when Jesus will enter Jerusalem, that triumphal entry, uh, Palm Sunday. We celebrate it with all that sort of thing. We've got this journey going on. And in the last part of this journey, we've actually, as I said, encountered a number of characters who, for one reason or another, they're not the kind of people you want to be around. So in chapter 16, for example, we have uh, Jesus telling a parable of a dishonest manager. And there's something that we learn good about that person, but in himself, that person's not a good guy. 
we hear the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Notice as well that uh, there's money involved in lots of these. The dishonest manager, the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man is not painted as a model for us. Chapter 17, we have the story of Jesus cleansing the lepers. Chapter 18, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, Another tax collector uh, like Zacchaeus. And then we have the story of the rich ruler. Another rich guy with power. And then the story of the blind beggar, also in chapter 18. There's kind of, I think, two types of people in these chapters that we meet. Some we don't really want to be around because they're sick or they're poor. There's something about them that's unattractive. Uh, We know it's not their fault. We know they didn't do anything wrong, that uh, for someone to have leprosy is, is not their fault. Uh, but we also don't really want to be near them because, well, we might get what they've got. You know, in, in the first century world, we might be concerned that it'll make us ceremonially, ceremonially impure. Uh, we might be excluded from certain parts of the culture, the society, the, the religious practices. But there's also just the ick factor, the yuck factor. I'd rather keep with my clean, neat, healthy friends if you don't mind. It could actually be costly for me to love you. I'd have to step out of my comfort zone, go to the other side of the street, as it were. Think back to Luke chapter 10. This is, of course, uh, these passages really touch us today because I think many of us, myself included, we feel the same thing even now, don't we? We see people who are homeless, who are on skid row, who are sick with all kinds of horrible things, who are on the other side of the road uh, begging or who knows what. And there's part of us that just wants to pull away. It's not the right response, but there's part of that in us. Those sorts of stories, I think, speak to that in us and call us to think about how we're representing Jesus. But the other group of people in these stories uh, and in these encounters that run from Luke 16 to Luke 19 are people who are not sick or not dirty, not in some way make us feel ick, but they're people who are just nasty pieces of work. People who we feel like they're not kind of morally upstanding, like, like me, like us. You know, there's a dishonest manager. Yeah, I don't really like the sound of that guy. There's a tax collector, and a tax collector's are not well regarded in the first century. I mean, tax collectors are still not well regarded today, right? Now, I have a good friend, a lovely, lovely guy who used to work in the tax office. And uh, there was no reason not to like him except for the fact that he worked in the tax office. Uh, Well, it was, of course, much worse in the first century because uh, tax collectors were actually people who worked hand-in-hand with the Roman oppressors. The, the, The Jewish nation, the land of Israel was occupied by the Romans in the first century when Jesus was around. And the Romans extracted taxes from the locals. But the people that got to do this, the tax collectors, were often Jewish people, local people, who the Romans employed to collect taxes on their behalf. So no one would like a tax collector. It's like my friend who's working with the enemy. My friend who's working not for my people, but for our oppressors. And worse than that, tax collectors often creamed a bit off the top for themselves. 
Like, you know, no one likes me anyway, and the Romans don't care what I do, so uh, I might just double the tax and keep a bit for myself. So there's these kinds of people we meet as well. Selfish, rich people, dishonest managers, tax collectors. They're not necessarily doing anything illegal, strictly speaking, but it seems dodgy and unprincipled. You know, you might have a similar kind of feeling when you meet someone who perhaps is like a a ticket scalper or uh, someone who operates a casino or a gaming room in the kind of poor end of town or a shonky tradie. You think it's not actually illegal, but it's just really not the world that I want to be much part of. I don't feel like they're good guys. I feel like they're a bit dodgy. And so... On the back of all of this, we have the story of Zacchaeus. As Matt said, uh, Jesus is entering here the town of Jericho. And Jericho is the last pit stop, if you like, before Jerusalem. This long journey that's taken us from chapter 9 to chapter 19. We're now, as it were, in the last stage. We've come to Jericho on the edge of Jerusalem. So this is the kind of closing place, the closing scene before Jesus triumphantly enters Jerusalem. So we get some final lessons here. And in verse 2, we meet Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is not only a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. And he's wealthy. He's wealthy. So immediately as you read this story, you think, here's one of these guys we've been meeting in Luke's gospel. One of these guys who's just a bit dodgy, not principled, who's ripping his own people off who we have no reason to love him. And not only is he a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. It may be that he has other tax collectors who work for him. He might be at the top of the pile. Oh, and by the way, he's rich. How did he get rich? Well, presumably by ripping people off. Presumably dishonestly, or at least immorally. We don't like this guy at all. We read about him and we think chief tax collector who's rich, not a good guy. Although there might be a little part of us that's starting to realise, maybe based on what we've seen in Luke from the last few chapters, maybe this story's going to get turned on its head as well. Maybe there's something we should watch with Zacchaeus and just reserve our judgement for a moment, even though he doesn't present well at first. And in fact, as we get to verses 3 and 4, we get a hint that there's something a bit more complex to this guy. He's not just one-dimensional. He's not just a rich tax collector. He's someone who is very keen to see Jesus. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Why? Why did Zacchaeus want to see who Jesus was? So he could be told off for ripping people off? Probably not. No one goes to seek out a rebuke like that. Why? Because Jesus was a, a miracle worker and, you know, Zacchaeus just wanted a bit of entertainment. Show us a miracle. I want to see one of your party tricks. Uh, maybe he wanted to hear some of Jesus' teaching. Maybe he was interested in this message that was kind of intriguing, that not, had not really been heard before in the land of Israel. Maybe he was just a celebrity watcher, you know? If, if a celebrity comes to town, hey, I want to see them. Um, That's what we do, right? We like famous people. Uh, We want to get close to them. It's not really clear why Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but he wants to see Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. 
And so we come to that part of the story which kind of has a bit of a comic edge to it, right? We learn that Zacchaeus is short and he, he can't see Jesus, you know, like, like a, a child at the back of a parade. They can't see what's going on. And yet he has a little bit of ingenuity about himself. And so he thinks, I will climb this tree. For some reason, we learn it's a sycamore tree. I have no idea why that's significant, but uh, Luke felt we should know that it's a sycamore tree. Perhaps that's a good climbing tree. And uh, he climbs up the tree. This is his idea. And this is when everything changes for him. This is when everything changes. In verse 5, Jesus reaches the spot. So this sycamore tree sycamore fig tree is well positioned it's on the route that jesus happens to be taking through the town Uh, zacchaeus has picked his tree well and jesus reaches the spot and more happens for zacchaeus than he imagines he just wanted to see him right he just wanted to be able to lock eyes and say hey i saw the guy or i saw something that he did or i i saw something about him but more than that jesus comes right up to the spot where zacchaeus is and speaks to Zacchaeus. That's pretty overwhelming. Uh, when I used to live in the UK, uh, the town I was in, uh, William and Kate once came. William and Kate. Uh, and that's a big deal if you care about royals. Uh, and one of my friends went to see William and Kate. And they got in the crowd and there's all the barriers and all this sort of stuff. And uh, people are seeing them walk down. And William, just as they do this random crowd walk thing, went up to my friend, shook his hand, and had just a moment of polite conversation. How are you? What are you doing today? Lovely to see you. Um, More than he anticipated. He just wanted to see him, but got the handshake and the hello. Pretty special. Pretty special. Something to tell the grandkids about. Oh, I've met the king. Well, Zacchaeus gets a similar thing. Zacchaeus gets a similar thing. He doesn't just see Jesus. It's not just that Jesus sees him, like a moment of eye contact, but Jesus singles him out, goes to him, and speaks to him. In fact, Zacchaeus is Jesus' primary focus here. It it almost seems, in hindsight, in retrospect, that Zacchaeus was on Jesus' radar from the moment Jesus came to Jericho. That Jesus wanted to meet Zacchaeus as much as Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And in verse 5, this is what Jesus says to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, hospitality was a big deal in the first century in Palestine. Hospitality was an, an expectation Uh, on the people of any town when a visitor came by. It was shameful for someone to not have a home to go to, not have food and a place to rest their head if that's what they needed. Hospitality was an obligation and indeed a privilege in some ways. Uh, If you could be the one who could show hospitality, it meant you had the chance to show the grace of God, the care of God to another. And as we saw in our little play, lots of people would have been happy to offer Jesus hospitality. But Jesus wants the hospitality of Zacchaeus in particular. He wants to be welcomed into Zacchaeus' home. He wants a meal. He wants rest. He wants conversation. He wants Zacchaeus to have him as part of his life. Uh, It's interesting as well, the word that Jesus uses here is very strong. He says, I must 
stay at your house today. Not just, I'd like to, but I must. Now, just take a couple of other examples in Luke's gospel where we hear Jesus using the word must. Luke 4, 43. He said, Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus must do. He must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. What about Luke 9, 22? Jesus said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus must proclaim the good news. Jesus must die on the cross. Jesus must be raised to new life. And Jesus must say at Zacchaeus' house. That's how central it is to Jesus' identity and mission that he encounters someone like Zacchaeus and comes into their home and their life. He must do it. He must do it. And again, it's kind of outrageous, isn't it? Jesus must enter Zacchaeus' life. And in uh, Jericho, this is kind of, I guess, not what lots of people expected. The chief bad guy, the chief tax collector, the one who'd gotten rich through his, his ill-gotten gains, through his, his uh, gleaning money from the top of the tax collecting, he gets to be the one with the honoured guest under his roof. Of all the good people that Jesus could have stayed with, he picked Zacchaeus. And it wasn't just that he wanted to, he must. He had to pick Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus obliges, verse 6. In fact, he quickly and gladly responds to Jesus, comes down and welcomes him. It's quite a good response. Not everyone responds to that, that way to Jesus, do they? Uh, not everyone responds quickly, not everyone responds gladly. But here suddenly, Zacchaeus is a model to us of how to receive Jesus. Quickly, gladly. And again, why does he do it? Why does Zacchaeus do this? We don't still quite know exactly all that's going on in Zacchaeus' head. We're learning through this encounter. Now, again, it might just be a good and right thing to do. To extend hospitality, of course he's quick and glad to do it because uh, it's a mark of a good citizen. And Zacchaeus wants to be seen as a good citizen. He's delighted to do his duty. Uh, maybe Zacchaeus thinks, well, this will make me popular. You know, no one likes me at the moment. I'm the chief tax collector. I'm rich. But if I have Jesus in my house, people want to be my friend. So it'll make me popular. That'd be good, wouldn't it? I get a bit of the reflected glory. I'm the guy who hung out with Jesus. Yes, if that was me. Or could Zacchaeus just be full of a thankful joy? Full of a thankful joy that he's been accepted. That he's been chosen. That Jesus would be interested in him and have time for him. Perhaps Zacchaeus has actually been rejected because he's the bad guy. Perhaps he's been marginalised. Perhaps he's only just been tolerated in a grumpy way. But no one's actually wanted to stay with him or know him before. Now, please note, there's no sense here from Jesus that Zacchaeus is not a bad guy. Jesus has not said, Zacchaeus, you're actually a good guy. I'd like to stay with you. No, there's no sense of that at all. No, 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 no. It's not that Jesus is saying, everyone's got you wrong, Zacchaeus, but I know you're really nice. 
Now, the picture, of course, is a picture of Jesus wanting to be in the life of someone who is a bad guy, who is the person who has the bad reputation for a reason. That's the story. Jesus wanting to be with someone despite the fact that they're not one of the good guys. Of course, if you know the gospel, the Christian message, this makes total sense. Uh, This is the upside-down way of God. This is the way that the Christian message inverts all the messages of the world. The message of the Christian faith is it's not about how good you are. It's not about whether you can measure up and impress God and be the squeakiest, cleanest person of all that God would be foolish not to want to accept. No, the message of Christianity is it doesn't matter how good you are. It also doesn't even matter how bad you are. What matters is that Jesus wants to know you. That Jesus wants to have a place in your life. That Jesus must, must come to be part of your story. He must. It's about what Jesus has done for you and whether you welcome him. Not about how good or bad you are. That's the message actually that we all need, not just Zacchaeus. It's the only way we find peace with God. Because if we rely on our own goodness... Well, A, we're going to be puffed up with pride and be blind to that which, which means we don't qualify or we'll be so down and miserable about our failings that we won't even seek him out. We'll feel unworthy. But it's not about that. It's just about looking out for him and responding to his call. Well, the rest of the people don't get this. Uh, they have yet had the, to have the penny drop on the Christian message. Uh, Verse 7, the people began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. They uh, don't understand that this is precisely the point. Yes, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. That's what he does. And at this point in the story, it's worth noting that Jesus doesn't clarify with the crowds. Luke doesn't give us an editorial comment to clarify. He lets the story speak to us. He lets the story unfold and we learn from this and what's been happening through the rest of the gospel. You see, some things are crystal clear if you are just tuned in and paying attention to what's happening without them needing to be laboured. So Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus joyfully, quickly welcomes him in. And this is a transformative encounter for Zacchaeus. This is the transformative moment of the story. Something significant has happened within Zacchaeus. It's not only that he's been accepted, but something's changed. This is a moment of change for him. And we see this in a couple of ways in verse 8. We see, uh, first of all, or taking the second one first, we see that Zacchaeus is prepared to pay back with damages any monies that he has taken uh, by fraud, by cheating. So he says, uh, look, Lord, here and now I give, uh, if I've cheated anybody, sorry, the second half there, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times as much. So it's interesting. He's not just returning his ill-gotten gains. It's not just I stole a dollar, I'll give a dollar back. No, he's paying back his ill-gotten gains, but with, with what we call today damages or reparations. I stole a dollar, I'm giving four dollars back. Uh, that's a signal not just of 
giving what I owe, but it's an, it's an act of reconciliation, an, an, an attempt to say, I'm sorry for what I've done. And not only that, but perhaps my greed, my theft from people left them in dire straits for a period of time. Maybe those people didn't have bread to put on the table. Maybe it affected their living conditions. I want to try and make up for that now. You can't just repay what was taken. You have to restore more to account for the damage that was done in the time that the person was without their money and what they owned. Uh, there is this kind of idea of some of the compensation, uh, compensation in some of the Old Testament laws, if you read through. Uh, if you don't know that, it's in the Pentateuch, so just ask Jane. She's got it all down pat, uh, ready for tomorrow. She'll be able to tell you. But the thing here is to notice that actually Zacchaeus is going above and beyond. This is not just bare minimum stuff. He hasn't got the calculator out and said, well, I owe this much, plus interest, plus blah, 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 so that's exactly... No, this is indulgent. This is abundant. This is, if I owed one, I'm giving four. It's over the top. The law, if you like, kind of no longer really matters because Zacchaeus is not, on the one hand, dismissing the law, nor, on the other hand, just marking and measuring and keeping the law. He's smashing through the roof of the law and saying, whatever that principle is, I'm doubling it. I'm quadrupling it. I want to care for the people who I have defrauded. So he's paying back with damages. But the other thing he's doing comes just before that in verse 8. First, notice he says this. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Now, the interesting thing about this is this is not part of payback. This is not money that's been defrauded. This is not what he's cheated. This is something that's independent from making restitution and reconciliation for wrongs done. This is another thing. I'll give half my money to the poor. Now that's very interesting, isn't it? Perhaps Zacchaeus has recognised something that's not just about the dynamic of having done something wrong and needing to make it right, but the dynamic of having been blessed and needing to bless. I have been blessed, I need to bless, independent of the question of what I've done wrong and needing to fix. I've been welcomed by Jesus, the King. I need to bless others as I can. Now, I think this bit is particularly challenging for lots of us because my hunch, and it's just a hunch, I don't know you very well, my hunch is that not many of you here have defrauded others of lots of money. Uh, it might be the case, and it might be that as you go back through your mental history, you think, actually, I did you know, uh, rip someone off on this at some stage. In my business, I overcharged something indulgently, or you know, uh, I didn't give back the right... When the um, shop gave me too much change, I didn't correct them. Maybe you have got that kind of, I defrauded someone at some stage, and you need to go and work that out. But if that's not you, if you're someone who thinks, well, I haven't actually been like Zacchaeus, I haven't defrauded people, I haven't stolen from anyone, then the rest of this is still challenging. It's certainly challenging for me. Because what Zacchaeus is saying here, or showing us here, is that even aside from making those reparations, even aside from uh, making up for the things we've done wrong, there's just a need for those of us who have to bless those of us who have not. The rich should bless the poor. 
Zacchaeus says, I will give half of my money to the poor. I'm rich, I have, they're poor, they do not. The right dynamic, the gospel dynamic is, I'm blessed, I will bless. How can I do that? To put it more pointedly for us, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have means, if you have financial means, you should bless other people with it. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been welcomed by him, if you have been blessed by him, you need to think about how you are blessing others. It might not just be money either. It might be with your time, with your energy, with your prayers. If you have been blessed, how are you blessing? How is the grace of God not just flowing into you, but flowing through you and out to those around you? This is clearly what's going on with Zacchaeus. The grace of God goes into him, but then through him and out to those around him. Please understand here as well, the language of duty or what ought to be done is probably not great language. We don't get the sense here that Zacchaeus is now uh, kind of submitting himself to a list of rules. And now that Jesus has welcomed me, I have to pay back what I've defrauded. I probably should give a little bit extra and I ought to support the poor because that's something I have to do as someone who God's... No, no, it's not like that. It's, it's not, I'm now suddenly bound to a set of rules. Zacchaeus' heart has changed. I want to. I love to. This is who I am now. I'm not someone who just follows rules. I'm no more that than I'm someone who ignores the needs of the people around me. I'm now someone who loves looking at the people around me and saying, how can I bless you? What can I do with what I have to serve you in your need? He's become a Christian. He's become a Christian. It's good, isn't it? It should be us. We should be quick and joyful to respond to Jesus' call to, to, to be in our lives. And that should flow through joyfully, quickly into us wanting to bless others using what we have for their benefit. It's a mark, actually, of salvation. It's a mark of salvation. Verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house. Part of salvation is transformation. Part of salvation is transformation. Jesus meets people in their sin, but does not leave them in their sin. Jesus welcomes sinners despite their sin and yet transforms them into people who do not sin, but people who bless. We are not accepted by God because of how good we are, but when we're accepted by God, by his spirit, he makes us good for the sake of those around us. The transformation of Zacchaeus is a mark of his salvation. It follows as night follows day. Verse 8, Zacchaeus says, I give half my, my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone anything, I'll pay them back four times. Jesus' response is, today salvation has come to this house. That's what salvation looks like. It's transformative. Jesus even calls Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. Here, of course, at this point, not necessarily that Zacchaeus is a biological descendant of Abraham, uh, as in the old system where the people of God largely could trace their lineage back through their, their Jewish heritage to their particular tribe and ultimately back to Abraham. No, but here, 
a person who, like Abraham, is, has been transformed to live in faithful, blessed obedience to God. Just as Abraham heard the call of God to leave Ur and to move to the land of Canaan, that is, he heard the, the welcome of God, Abraham, I must be with you, you must come with me, and his response is faithful obedience. And Zacchaeus is like that. He's heard the call of Jesus and he goes to him and he becomes faithfully and joyfully obedient. His life has been transformed. Abraham was transformed. We as God's people, if you here are a follower of the Lord Jesus, you should anticipate that that results in your transformation. You are changed into the person he wants you to be for his greater glory. And then the passage closes out, doesn't it, with the, the verse that we've rightly focused on earlier. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, for this man too is the son of Abraham. And then, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is Jesus' primary task. I must proclaim the good news. I must die on the cross. I must rise again from the dead. I must seek out and save the lost. That's what I do. That's who Jesus is. Jesus seeks out not those who think they're worthy, not those who think they're righteous, not those who think, hey, Jesus, you should stay in my place because I'm one of the good guys. Jesus seeks out those who know they're not and whose only hope is the grace of God reaching into their lives, the grace of God stopping before them and saying, come, I must stay in your house today. The Son of Man came to seek the lost, just as he came to Jericho, it seems, to seek out Zacchaeus, even though we thought Zacchaeus was seeking him out. Clearly, Jesus came to seek out Zacchaeus and to save him, to save him in such a way, not only that his past sins were dealt with, but he was saved from the ongoing patterns and habits of selfishness and greed and cheating and immorality into a person who was transformed into a person of generosity and blessing and kindness towards others. He was saved out of the old life and into a new life, a salvation that involved transformation. Actually, there's a clue to the transformation of Zacchaeus in his very name. Uh, Matt said before that, you know, it's a good name to put on your list if you're having a baby. Uh, Zacchaeus might be one you want to think of. Uh, and you don't have many Zacchaeuses around today. But actually, his name tells the story in its own way. Zacchaeus comes from the Hebrew word zakay, And zakay means pure, innocent. That's what it means. And that was certainly not how Zacchaeus had lived, purely and innocent. But that, who he, that is who he was designed to be, who he was made to be. His name told of what he was supposed to be, pure and innocent. So what Jesus actually did was made Zacchaeus into his true self. Didn't transform him into something he wasn't, but transformed him into what he was always meant to be. Zacchaeus, pure, innocent. You are now finally... Your true self when you meet Jesus. Freed from the burden of sin and guilt. 
free to live in the service of others, free to give away money, knowing his eternity is secure and fixed with Christ. He is now once again made who he was always meant to be, pure and innocent, only because Jesus called him and welcomed him. Well, your name might not be Zacchaeus, and you might decide not to call any child you have in the future Zacchaeus, but actually it's good to remember that that's who we are made to be as well. We're made to be pure. We're made to be innocent. But the only way we ever get there is through that encounter with Jesus, where he calls us and where we joyfully respond and let his spirit transform us into who we were always meant to be from the beginning. That's the story of Zacchaeus, and that's our story too. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we can become who we are meant to be, pure and innocent. No matter our past, in Jesus there's welcome. And thank you that in him there's a new future as well, one that's not selfish and self-focused, but one that's generous and seeks desperately to bless those around us with all that we have. We thank you, Father, that this is what Jesus must do and this is what he does as one of his last acts before heading into Jerusalem to die on the cross for the sins of the world and to make us pure and innocent. And then to rise to new and eternal life that those of us who follow him will continue following him too for eternity. For our great Lord and Saviour, we praise you and thank you. Amen.